Wild West Podcast proudly presents Part 2 of the Early Kansas Trails. Kansas probably has more frontier trails than any other state, being the jumping-off point during westward expansion. In addition to the immigrant trails to the west, including the Santa Fe Trails, Smoky Hill Trail, the Cannonball Stagecoach Road, Kansas also provided several military trails that connected the many forts. One such trail was the Butterfield Overland Dispatch, established in 1865. The purpose of the Butterfield Overland Dispatch, or BOD, was to control the bulk of the plane's vast traffic. The plan for the BOD was to transport merchandise and all kinds of freight from the Missouri River to Denver and other towns in Colorado. This plan also included a supply route to the rich mining camps developed in the Great Northwest Territories. David Butterfield, an ambitious man, formed an extensive acquaintance in Denver and other Colorado towns and mining camps. He knew the vastness of the commerce of the plains. He wanted to be at the head of some great enterprise connected with the Overland Route. Butterfield was determined that an Overland Trail could be profitable. This prompted him to seek out financial backing from investors in the East. On June 4, 1865, the smooth-talking businessman David Butterfield obtained capital for the Butterfield Overland Dispatch for $3 million. Butterfield saw how much freight was going overland to Denver and the mining districts. He studied the Overland Trail survey maps as laid out in 1860. The Overland Trail extended west from Atchison, Kansas on the Missouri River to Denver, spanning the length of Kansas. The trail was named after the Smoky Hill River, whose course paralleled for much of the river's length. The Overland Trail became the Smoky Hill Road, which followed an ancient Indian trail and was the fastest path to the gold fields. The road used by prospectors became the most direct route west to Colorado during the Pikes Peak Gold Rush. Butterfield decided much of this road could be used for freight service, but his road had to be shorter, safer, and faster. The route up the Kansas River and Smoky Hill Fork was the one he had marked out because it was practically a straight line from Atchison to Denver. It was known that it would save at least 50 miles in distance. Previous stage lines had not been successful due to a scarcity of water and frequent Indian attacks. In the latter part of June 1864, David Butterfield left Denver and took up his residence in Atchison, Kansas. In the 1860s, Atchison was one of the most prosperous towns on the Missouri River. During that time, there were no railroads on Kansas soil, and steamboats on the Big Muddy did most of the freight transportation from St. Louis to Kansas. During the summer of 1865, the route was equipped for a tri-weekly passenger and express stage line. He purchased 20 good coaches bought in Chicago. At the cost of $175 per person, the first stage to leave Atchison by this route reached Denver on September 23, 1865. The route extended for 585 miles from Leavenworth and Atchison to Denver and the Smoky Hill River. Relay stations were built about every 12 miles. The relay stations provided passengers with rest, food, and the changing of horses. The first line was a success, providing tri-weekly express service lasting from 8 to 12 days. A common name for the coach used on the Overland Mail was made by Abbott Downing Company, Concord, New Hampshire. The coach had an arching roof with a railing around the outer ridge. The front was the boot where the driver sat with his feet braced against the footboard. Behind his feet were a sack of tools, a treasure box, water bucket, a buffalo robe, and perhaps some mail. 
At the rear was another boot, a sort of projecting platform covered with a leather curtain. The rear platform was used to carry the baggage, express, and mail. Any overflow of packages or mail was carried on the top of the coach and also protected the passengers from rain and cold wind. The coach was the best of its type. When new, it cost from $1,000 to $1,500. The BOD became an additional burden of protection put upon the shoulders of the military authorities in Kansas. A chain of forts and outposts was constructed along the Smoky Hill Valley by the government to give the route adequate defense. Soldiers were also posted along the pathway at Fort Downer, Fort Harker, Fort Monument, Fort Wallace, and other stops to protect the stations and the travelers from Indian attacks. The soldiers could not keep up with the furious Indians who felt that their land was being invaded. One of the most prominent Indian fights along the Butterfield Trail came on October 2, 1865. This was when some 30 Cheyenne warriors attacked a lone stage near Monument Station. The passengers fought for some time but finally had to abandon the coach, taking horses and starting east. The Indians plundered and burned the coach, burned the station house, and drove off mules. Before the year was ended, General G.M. Dodge placed troops on the road west of Fort Ellsworth at Big Creek, Monuments Nation, and Ponds Creek. Butterfield suffered financial difficulties from the Indian depredations, and the great enterprise forced to succumb to Ben Holiday. In 1867, the two lines were consolidated, and the name accordingly changed to Holiday Overland Mail and Express Company. Butterfield lost about a million dollars and sold out almost precisely 18 months after starting the BOD. He moved to Mississippi, then to Arkansas, where he was fatally shot on March 28, 1875. The Holiday Overland Mail Express Company did not go without its share of Indian troubles. It is learned from a friendly chat with Mr. Cummings that he was in one of the liveliest Indian fights that ever took place on the Smoky Hill route since the old staging days. It was at Monument Station on the north side of the Smoky Hill River. Fort Monument, Kansas, was originally a Butterfield stage station along the Smoky Hill Trail to Colorado. Troops were first sent there in November 1865 to protect the station and travelers from Indian attacks. Formerly called Monument Station for the castle-like rocks to the north, the stage station was sometimes referred to as Antelope Station. Once the soldiers were posted there, the post was also nicknamed Fort Pyramid for the monolith rocks. The post saw one engagement on August 22, 1867, when a freight train of about 40 wagons was attacked in the early morning by several hundred Sioux and Cheyenne Indians. Cummings reported a sight preceding the engagement as the grandest his eyes ever feasted on. A freight train of about 40 wagons belonging to Powers and Newman of Leavenworth was on its way across the plains to Denver, having camped the night previous along the Smoky Hill Banks River. The Indians on this occasion, it appears, were after stock, and as is their custom, they did not hesitate in committing any crime that promised to secure for them what they desired. The entire force of stage, party, and freighters was in the engagement that took place, and they fought the combined Sioux and Cheyennes for 32 hours. The savages formed in line and made their grand charge at a little after 5 o'clock in the morning, just as the sun was coming above the eastern horizon. They came from the west and were traveling east. All were mounted upon their ponies and, at the word of command, pushed spurs into the flanks of their animals and came forward with a mad rush. 
with a little party of whites, all was anxiety and excitement at the time. Two or three minutes later, the most unearthly, hideous yells ever heard went up from the vast body of Indians as they made their brilliant and desperate attack. While mounted upon their steeds, their faces ornamented with paint of various colors and dressed in particular style so becoming to the red man, with their shields handsomely polished and guns burnished, everything on which the sun's rays were reflected shone with dazzling brilliancy. The cavalcade was a sight grand to look upon. No circus making its gorgeous entry at the beginning of an expedition ever presented a more magnificent spectacle. In their brilliant attack, charging down upon the pale faces with their hideous war whoops, was the intention of the Indians. In fact, they had planned it. To stampede the stock belonging to the freighters and stage company, and with their overwhelming numbers ran the animals off to their villages outside of civilization. But the brave little party, while thus besieged, was anticipating something of its kind and wisely had prepared for the occasion, thus in a measure forestalling the strategic move so cunningly planned by the treacherous Mr. Lowe. While thus besieged, all the water Mr. Cummings and his party get was digging into the sand on the Smoky Hill bottom, where thousands of buffalo had the time and again wallowed where quite naturally a terrible stench had been left. In order to drink the stuff called water, it was necessary to mix vinegar with it. And even with this, it was impossible to force down but a swallow or two. When one drink of the nauseating beverage was taken, it only created a thirst for another. Between bad water and still worse Indians, the situation was serious and not particularly interesting for the mere handful of men composing the stage party and freighters. The whites anticipated the trouble and were prepared to resist the attack. While the engagement was in progress, luckily, a government freight train of some 25 wagons came along and corralled the immediate vicinity of the hostiles. Accompanying this train was a small detachment of soldiers, and altogether the employees of both trains made a pretty strong force in the corral as they were using the wagon for breastworks. Being on the defensive, they were able to, and did, successfully keep off the Indians who numbered at least 10 to their one. After the exciting engagement, Followed by the roundup, it was observed that the Indians had a pair of sorrel bobtail horses taken from Ben Holliday, proprietor of the Central Stage Line. The animals were run off from the Lone Tree Station on the Little Blue River in southern Nebraska in a raid by the savages three years previous. Mr. Cummings saw and recognized the horses as a span he had often driven in the Blue Valley on the Overland Stage Route when he employed by Holliday on that line in the early 60s. On this occasion, the animals were ridden by the Redskins to a piece of low ground where they dismounted. At the time, the animals were stolen in the summer of 1864, when horseflesh was to war prices, they would readily have bought between $500 and $600. Three years hard usage among the Indians had told on the horses. In this fight, they were far from being the lively spirited animals they used to be during their staging career. Still, they were pretty fair horses capable of doing much service, but the Indians could, and actually did, outrun them after being dismounted. It is not definitely known whether there were any casualties among the Indians as a result of this, but the little party of whites killed one Indian pony, and hostilities succeeded in running off one small mule. Hence the fight was considered a draw, but those 32 hours of suspense and anxiety in front of such vast numbers of Indian warriors seemed to the party almost a lifetime. The Overland Mail and Express Company continued until the iron bands were spiked down in the spring of 1869, 
This was when the Transcontinental Railroad line was completed on May 10, 1869 at Promontory Point, Utah. A golden spike driving ceremony was held at the location where the two lines met, one coming from the east and the other coming from the west. <laughs> 